Welcome to The Well Podcast, where we post the audio messages for our Sunday sermons. For more information about us and how to get further connected, feel free to visit our website at thewellaustin.com. This morning, I'm going to be reading two passages. I'll be reading them in Spanish, but don't worry. You don't have to learn Spanish in the next 30 seconds, okay? We're going to have the passages uh, in English on the screen. Let's read Mark 15:21. Marcos 15:21. A uno que pasaba por ahí, de vuelta del campo, un tal Simón de Sirene, padre de Alejandro y de Rufo, lo obligaron a llevar la cruz. Romans 16, 13. Romanos 16, 13. Saluden a Rufo, distinguido creyente, y a su madre, que ha sido también como una madre para mí. Esta es la palabra de Dios. This is the Lord, the word of the Lord. Ooh, we got a full house in this mug. That's the theme song for the day. All right. How are we? We good? Good, good. It is good to be worshiping with you all today. Um, hey, we have a bunch to cover, so let's go ahead and dive right in. I know that it's only two verses, uh, but like all of Scripture, there's a ton of meat on them, and so let's chop it up. Uh, we are doing a short series in between our book of Ezra and the book of Titus, and what we're trying to do with this series is actually bridge those two books together. Uh, in Ezra, we focused on building up of the kingdom of God, uh, specifically in a local church context. And what we asked over and over again is, hey, what is it that you are building? And will what you're building last forever? Uh, you have an opportunity to build something that will last for eternity, but what is it that you are building? Will it last that long? And in discipleship, what we're essentially asking is, hey, who is it that you are building and how are you building into them? And so this series is meant to really bridge those together. We're looking at uh, some invisible leaders or some unsung heroes, names that you are probably unfamiliar with in the Bible, and yet showing how through their service and through their sacrifice, they do these massive things for the Lord. You do not have to be a Paul or a Peter or a Moses to make an eternal difference. You just need to be faithful. And so last week we looked at Epaphroditus, or Epap is what they called him in the hood, and we showed how his faithful service impacted these generations, even into our lives today. Uh, today we look at Rufus. Rufus does not have a hood name. In fact, Rufus is his hood name. He's country hood, all right? Uh, and we're looking at how these sacrificial decisions, the little things that he did for the Lord and the little things that we do for the Lord can genuinely make an eternal difference. And so let's pick it up in Mark. Let me give you a little bit of context to the passage that we just read. Uh, Mark at this moment is sharing about how Jesus, who we just sang about, is taking his cross up a hill to be crucified by the Roman government because of the deliverance of the Jews, his own people. And as Jesus is carrying his cross, he is getting weary of walking up the hill because the cross is heavy and he has been abused up until this point. He had just received 39 lashes. He has just been ridiculed and mocked, spit on, beard ripped out, and he is getting weary of carrying the cross up the hill. 
And so a Roman soldier begins to look at the crowd and he calls out this man to help him carry the cross up the hill. Now, it's really interesting because the book of Mark is the shortest gospel because it moves with this blazing speed. Mark very rarely gives us details or or insight into people. It is blazing through just trying to tell you about who Jesus is. In fact, if you have your physical Bibles, you can look at the start of almost every single verse in the gospel of Mark is the word and. And Jesus did this, and this, and this, and this. It's like moving with all of this intensity. And so here comes all of this speed. Then all of a sudden, Mark slows down to give this random little detail. Like this random guy that is carrying a cross, Mark wants you to know his kids' names, Rufus and Alexander. Why is it that he wants us to know his children's name? Well, there's several cool reasons. First of all, uh, Mark was an African writer, Wakanda forever, all right? Um, So anybody telling you that Christianity is whitewashed, by the way, doesn't know the scriptures. Uh, Mark was the first gospel finished, meaning the first person to write an account about Jesus's life was African. Tell Beyonce, get her facts straight. (laughs) Simon, too, was African, is what it says here. He was from Cyrene, that is Libya. And so was Mark just mentioning this because they shared cultural ancestry? Like, like that is cool. You know that we care about diversity as a church. And we see in the Gospel of Mark the beginning of the fact that God has come to draw all nations back to himself. So yes, Mark does care about that. But there's got to be a little bit more because he wouldn't have given the kids names if he just cared about the diversity piece. He would have just mentioned that he was from Cyrene. Well, that's where Romans 16, 13 now comes into view. There is Rufus once again. You see all of a sudden in Romans 16, 13, this mention of Rufus chosen in the Lord. And he was there in Mark's gospel as well. In fact, it's really clear that Mark had ties to the Roman church. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 10, or Philemon, verse 24, or 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, all of these books were written into churches that were under Roman province and Roman rule, and Mark's name shows up in every one of those books. And so his readers of his gospels likely knew this family unit. In fact, it's really clear that Mark was written primarily to Roman citizens. In fact, if you're familiar with the gospel accounts, Matthew was written primarily to the Jews. You see over and over Matthew saying things like, as it says in the scriptures, or so that the scriptures may be fulfilled. Luke was written mainly to the Gentiles, that is Greeks and non-Jew or Roman citizens. John was writing to the whole world, but Mark was focusing his gospel on the Roman citizens, making the connection even stronger. In the book of Romans, written to the Roman church, we see that Mark is involved there as well. And in Mark's letter written about and to the Roman citizens, we see the same name, Rufus, show up in both places. And so many have concluded throughout church history that this reference of Simon of Cyrene was also a tie to Romans chapter 16, meaning it's very likely that this random guy that was carrying Jesus's cross up a hill got saved. Like this random passerby 
had an upfront view of the suffering Messiah and then later came to believe in him. Simon then passes his faith on to his family and now Rufus is a leader in the local church. That's pretty dope, isn't it? Right? Like every single word in scripture is breathed out by the spirit of God and is profitable. It is in there for a reason. The naming of this random man's son is no different. It wants you to see the passing of the gospel. Uh, Let's focus on Simon for a minute in Mark 15, then we'll go back to Red or to Rufus. Uh, Notice that Simon was coming in to Jerusalem, it says, meaning he's just getting there. He was coming for something, likely the Passover. That's what was happening that weekend. And so he likely stayed around to see Jesus's death and then was likely around long enough to hear about his resurrection and probably got really intrigued at what just happened. I mean, this guy who he helped carry his cross up a hill because he was so weak that he couldn't carry it up himself, that same guy has come back to life? Wouldn't you be intrigued? Like, imagine if I just died right now. And you're like, oh, he did, right? And then it was evidence, it was clear. The stone was put over, like we just sang. And then all of a sudden on Wednesday, you saw me on IG like, hey, what up, y'all, I'm back. You'd be really intrigued as well, right? And so this guy is intrigued, but I don't want you to just read the story. I want you to place yourself in the story. I want you to feel the story for a moment. What do you think that Simon was feeling when he was carrying this cross up that hill? Do you think Simon wanted to carry this random dude's cross up a hill when he just got into town? Like he's probably carrying his luggage. He's from Africa, not from Israel. So he has been traveling for a while, just coming on in, and all of a sudden he has to carry this man's cross. You know, in Christian circles sometimes when you're in a group and it's time to pray, you know how you don't look at the leader so that they won't call on you to pray? right? Like it's time to pray and it's like, Haley, will you pray for us? It's like, why did I look at him? Okay. Uh, My guess is that Simon is trying not to look at the, at the Roman uh, soldiers as they're looking around watching Jesus stumble and they start looking into the crowd. Simon probably glanced his eyes down, right? And they said, Hey, you buddy, come on in. It was the inconvenience. Uh, Dare I might say it was a moment of momentary discomfort or a moment of suffering Uh, When God puts momentary discomfort in your life, do you see that maybe, just maybe, he's actually trying to save your life? Like you see, Simon was just passing by, trying to go to the Passover supper, and all of a sudden he is meeting with the Passover lamb, but he has no idea this is happening. Chaos interrupted his life. And this was probably a terrible action for him, carrying a heavy wooden cross that has to be sturdy enough to hold up a whole human being is not an easy task. Yet this random moment of suffering ended up being the best decision of his life. You see, Jesus was whipped 39 times before this, as we just said. He was mistreated in other ways, meaning Jesus was probably bloody and filthy at this moment. Do you think that Simon wanted to do that as he's carrying Jesus's cross, probably literally being uh, covered in the blood of Jesus at that moment? The Passover lamb covering his doorpost? This would have been terrible, but God is using it to save him. 
I think the first major thing that we see is that God, I believe, at times, sovereignly uses difficult situations for your salvation. God sovereignly uses situations to draw you into intimacy with himself, that you might know the God of the universe. He is in control and orchestrating things that you might be at the right place at the right time that you might meet the right savior of your life. God is trying to move in us for you to come to know Christ or Christian, your salvation is still ongoing for you to grow in Christ. God at times is orchestrating things for your betterment. Do you see that or do you just complain when chaos randomly enters into your life? Maybe the reason that difficult person is in your class, students, or why you live with them is because God is trying to intercept them with a believer who will love them into the kingdom of God. Maybe the reason you're carrying that cross at your job is because God wants to reveal something about himself to you. Maybe the reason you're carrying that heavy cross up a suffering hill right now is so that you can carry your family up to heaven with you one day, just like Simon did. Do you see God moving in your life? Maybe God is wanting to use suffering for salvation, for yours and for others. What interrupted Simon's life ended up changing him forever. And God sovereignly allowed him to be there at this moment so that he might look the savior of the world in his eyes as the savior of the world was going to die for the world so that Simon and Rufus and others will be saved. Man, can you see God interrupting your life as well? Listen, at times, I think there may be situations where uh, life randomly comes up and it feels uncomfortable or unwelcomed in a random moment. But my guess would be, friends, is that if you would look just a little bit to the left, you would actually see Jesus is in that suffering moment with you, wanting to meet you with his grace. That as you're carrying this cross, if you look just a little bit to your left, that Jesus is there carrying that cross with you. Do you see how God is trying to interact in your life that you might know who he is? I think that God is wanting to draw us to himself. And if we recognize this, then maybe the situations that feel frustrating is actually a tool that God is using to allow us to look at the face of his son. Hallelujah for suffering then, because suffering may be for your eternity. Maybe that Roman soldier, what he meant for evil, God was going to take it and use it for good. Can you see how God is trying to intercept your life, friend? And so Simon's life gets interrupted. He carries Jesus's cross. And maybe he stayed at the crucifixion because Jesus was only up there for a few hours. And and maybe he heard the Roman soldier say, truly this was the son of God. Maybe he heard about him resurrecting and he knew there was something different about the man he was standing next to. Maybe he felt some of the holiness of God and went and found some disciples and said, hey, who is this man? We don't know, but we do know that the uncomfortable situation led him to faith. How else could the disciples even know this random man from Africa and his kid's name unless he came into the family of God? And so he gets saved because he decided to carry this random criminal's cross, and then he decides to pour into his family. Apparently, his wife and his sons come to faith as well, because by the time Romans 16 is written, that's about 30 years after this cross-carrying moment, we actually see no mention of Simon in Romans chapter 16. 
meaning he likely died before Paul even penned that letter. But now not only is Rufus a Christian, he's enough of a leader in the church for Paul and Mark to both isolate this man in their letters. He must have been a very prominent believer in the church. And so now he is being used to advance the kingdom of God because of his father's discipleship of him. And so don't miss this, y'all. Think about the impact that's happening here. Simon, a random momentary sufferer, gets saved. He then saves his family. His kids are now blessing the Roman church. His wife is now blessing Paul, who is also blessing the Roman church. There is all of this blessing coming out from this moment of suffering. Can you look back in your life and see how God is bringing endless fruit into seasons that you felt like you were discomforted in? how generations down might be being impacted because of how God interacted in your life in a hard season. God wastes nothing, including your suffering. You just have to give it to him. Now, Rufus here is chosen in the Lord, is what it says of him. Paul is like, yo, to have your daddy randomly there at this right moment, God wanted you in the kingdom, brother. You've been chosen in the Lord. And maybe the reason that you live right next to that Christian, by the way, right? Or you randomly ran into that Christian and now you're at church today is because God is trying to bring you into the family as well, that you might know his love. We believe there's nothing random about our lives, but God is trying to orchestrate our lives so that we would know that there is a God that loves us and want relationships with us. Listen, Rufus is chosen. His mother is also like a mother to Paul. How is she like a mother? Did she welcome him always in her home? Did she speak words of encouragement when he was weary or words of challenge when Paul wanted to give up? Uh, We don't know. What we do know is, though, is that through these seemingly obscure people, through this seemingly obscure encounter with their father, the gospel was multiplying and Paul is encouraged. Um, Do you see how small things can really bless the kingdom, y'all? Like we should be faithful in even the small decisions that we make. Because Simon carried the cross and didn't like run away when the soldier tried to say something, he met the Messiah. Because Simon likely then shared the gospel with his family, his family also came to faith. Because they were discipled well in their family and in their church, Rufus is now a leader in the church. Every little decision that you make impacts many for generations to come. Do you see how the kingdom of God is looking to multiply through you, through these little simple decisions, Simon discipled his family and probably thought nothing of it. It was what he was supposed to do. He was a believer in Jesus. So not only does God uh, use difficult situations for our salvation, but point two, God also mercifully uses discipleship situations for your salvation as well. Like making the decision to share the gospel with our family can impact generations to come. Like, uh, think about this family, y'all. I think at times you and I disqualify ourselves from this deep spiritual fruit because we think we don't have much to offer, like Christo said this morning. It's like, I'm just an accountant, right? God can't use me to bless many. 
Uh, Simon was just a passerby. That's what they identify him as. But then he was faithful with his family. And now the great apostle Paul is encouraged at his wife's simple hospitality. All of these simple decisions blessing many. This simple obedience, this simple discipleship, this simple faithfulness in the same direction is creating life for many. In fact, one of the things that we see here is that this woman was a spiritual mother to Paul, is what it says. Everyone needs these spiritual mothers and fathers who bless us and who nurture us and who walk with us. Um, She may not feel significant to you. You don't even know her name. But she was significant to Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament, meaning she is significant to you. You just didn't realize it. This woman you've never heard of before was keeping Paul encouraged, and in that was like a mother to Paul, and you and I are reading Paul's letters, having Paul's verses tattooed on us, believing that the Spirit used this, and this came from a simple woman's encouragement. So though you did not know the reality of who this woman was, God did and was using it to still nurture your life today. Simple decisions make impacts 2,000 years later, y'all. Rufus served in the local church that passed down most of the Christian tradition that we have. The Roman church was one of the biggest churches that was helping form early Christian theology that we still believe today. Rufus was the servant in that church. Simple decisions that we make ripple throughout generations. It's interesting, okay? Think here with me real quick. Once again, don't just read the story. Put yourself in here. Uh, Paul is probably way more spiritual than Rufus's mom, right? Like he's being inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to write these letters. This dude is like this genius in the faith, but he needed this woman's love to encourage him, to nurture him, to pray for him, which by the way, spiritual mothers and fathers, particularly older people in a younger church, we need you in our body. We need your discipleship. We need your love. We need your motherhood or your fatherhood to encourage us in the faith over the long haul. I love our church's diversity, but I think we can grow even more in generational diversity. We need you in this. Also, though, you don't have to be older to be a spiritual parent, by the way, right? Timothy was a young man, yet was called a father to many. Are you making spiritual disciples where you are the mother and father of? Do you see how that simple obedience can actually impact generations to come? And so society may lie to you and tell you that you don't have a lot to offer, but I want you to condemn that demonic voice every time you hear it. If you are in the family of God, you have the same Holy Spirit of God that dwelled in the Apostle Paul and in Rufus's mom, meaning you can make spiritual fruit today, saints. You can advance the kingdom of God today. You know, it's interesting. You never really hear much about Paul's literal family. Who was his mom, his dad, his brothers? You actually don't hear a whole lot. You don't even really know what happened to them, but you do hear about many others who were their spiritual family and who kept Paul going. All of these brothers, if you read chapter 16, he mentions all of these sisters, these moms in the faith, like God was using the spiritual fruit that was producing to make an impact on the great apostle Paul's life. This is beautiful and you and I have the ability to do the exact same thing. God mercifully uses discipleship to make an impact in people's lives. 
This happened because of simple discipleship that Simon likely gave to his wife and his children. You have things to give the kingdom of God, saints. I love that last week Paul was encouraged by the simple faithfulness of Epaphroditus. This week he's encouraged by the simple hospitality of Rufus's mother. Both people doing small things, keeping the great apostle in the faith going. Once again, y'all. Uh, Your small decisions, they make impacts. They may change the course of salvation history. I hope I'm repeating myself enough this morning. One simple act of family discipleship, one simple encounter with suffering and you suffering well and trying to find Jesus in it, one simple hospitality act to a traveling pastor in Paul, these simple things, they mean something. Simple obedience are like seeds that produce harvest fields of fruit for the kingdom of God. Think about a literal tree, right? It begins with a simple seed. Think of an apple tree with me. And you put that seed in the ground and you nurture it and you water it and you grow it. And ain't no apple trees growing in Texas this summer, but let's travel up to Michigan, all right? And you begin to see this fruit. And after some years, one simple seed produces hundreds and hundreds of apples year after year after year. And if physical fruit will do that, which God does care about our physical bodies, yet our spiritual realities, I would argue, are even more significant then won't God do that spiritually with the seeds you plant as well? Won't God take your faithfulness and produce it and grow it? Now, just like an apple tree, sometimes those seeds take a long time to bear fruit. God prepares slow-cooked meals at times because them mugs taste better anyway, (laughs) right? They will produce fruit though. Listen to me, saints. Spiritual seeds always grow, always God's word will not return void. God's spirit is not powerless. Even where other people try to reject that seed, God's faithfulness towards you and your faithfulness towards him, the scriptures promise that God will reward it. Nothing you do for God is in vain. Do you see it? You see how God is moving in your life. The little things we do for the Lord are important, including the little ways that we suffer or the little ways that we disciple those around us. Now, all of this sounds good, but let's keep it real, y'all. Most of us don't handle suffering well. We don't always make disciples of those around us. We struggle to carry the crosses that God gave us. We complained about the random little suffering of walking up a hill to get into church this morning. Hello. I know I'm talking to some of y'all who had to park far away. right? We don't suffer well. We do not do these things well. We don't become spiritual mothers or we lack spiritual fathers in our lives. We make not simple decisions of obedience for the Lord, but we make simple decisions of disobedience, which that also produces fruit, y'all. It just produces negative fruit that harms God's creation. You and I do not do these things well. And this is where we need to apply the gospel as the people of God. Left to ourselves, the sermon would end here to be like, now go be like Simon and suffer well. Now go be like Rufus and lead and serve in your local church. Now go be like Rufus's mom. But that's where you get left striving and never arriving. But there's a better way. You see, Jesus, beloved, is the better Simon. He is also the better mother. He is also the better Rufus. So even when you and I fail at being like them in their examples, Jesus didn't fail. 
You see, Simon, the text says, was compelled to carry Jesus's cross, meaning this man did not want to do it. In fact, that word compelled in the Greek is a word that is used for force. So he was forced to carry a cross, yet Jesus did not need to be compelled. He did it willingly. He was the better sufferer. Simon was forced into suffering, but Jesus chose suffering so that you and I, who because of our sin should face suffering forever, might now through the Savior's suffering come to know the deliverance of God and reign in harmony with him forever. This is good news. Where you and I had no spiritual family, God because of the sacrifice of the son, now becomes our father and he nurtures us like a mother. The Psalm says, he adopts you into his family just like Rufus's mom did for Paul. God gave up his son so that you might become sons and daughters. And Rufus, chosen in the Lord, whose name means red, wow. The true chosen of the Lord, Jesus, the Son of God, becomes the rejected of the Lord, so that you and I, who should be rejected by God, might now be adopted in forever. You see, the pure one become, became red with blood. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18 says, Come now. Hey, let us reason together. Like, use your mind here for a moment. How is it that you could get back in right relationship with a holy and perfect God? Let us think about these things together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall become white as snow. Though they are red, though they are rufous like crimson, they shall become like wool. And because of the sacrificial decision of the Son, what is our response but to make sacrificial decisions for Him? You see, when we try to muster up our own energy, we're trying to follow a law to please God. But when you realize that God has already laid down everything in his life, that you might be welcomed into the family of God, all that does is produce worship in our heart. If we realize how much Jesus sacrificed and then out of worship we move and I believe we endure to the end because of that. And so what is our response but to pick up crosses as they come, knowing that through this, God may be trying to draw us in, maybe carrying that cross with you that you might know him better. What is our response but to sacrificially make disciples, know that, knowing that God is worthy of the nations coming to know him and every little decision that we make might be producing fruit for eternity, family. What else are we left with to do but to serve our loving God? And so I pray that we would forever be a people like Rufus. Though many may not know our name, we serve the church well and not caring if we get a spotlight on earth because God's Shekinah glorious light will shine upon us in heaven. Like Rufus's mom, that we would be mothers and fathers to many. Like Simon, that we would carry crosses uphill, believing that a crown awaits us at the end of that. That our decisions would be fully given over and surrendered to our king. The small things that you do for God, they matter, family. Remember that. The small things you do, they matter. And so maybe, just maybe, God is aligning your lives in such a way to give you the best chance at making the biggest impact in the kingdom. Maybe, just maybe, the people that you've met this week 
the gifts that he's given you, the way that he's wired you, the little things that you may have even seen as weaknesses, like maybe that's the very thing that God is aligning to try to allow you to make the greatest impact in the kingdom. And the little decisions that we make to share the gospel, to live in holiness, to disciple our family, to suffer well, maybe that's what will make the biggest impact in eternity. Not some grandiose gesture that we do, but faithful obedience day by day, knowing that we serve a Jesus who is worthy. Let us surrender our decisions to Christ. Amen. 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 Hey, I love you guys like crazy. Let's pray together. Hmm. Yeah. Holy Father, precious Jesus, anointed Spirit of God, thank you, thank you, thank you for your love. Jesus, I thank you that you use every little thing that we do but you have been trying to draw us in. You're trying to move in our lives. You allow us to have relationship with you. Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you. God, I thank you for Rufus. I thank you for his mom. I thank you for Simon, these people that we probably didn't even really know until this morning that maybe their little decisions are the very reason why we're sitting in this room today. Maybe Rufus disciples somebody else who disciples somebody else who kept going and going until now all of a sudden we are here. I thank you that faithfulness you, you reward Jesus, you use. God, I pray for every woman and man in this room. God, I ask two very simple things. One, I pray anybody in this room that walked in unsure of where they were in relationship with you, that they would know there's a God of heaven that loves them that they would see that because of you, King Jesus, who died on the cross for our sin, that if we believe in you and have faith in you, that there can be relationship with you, that you take away our sins, that you died in our place, that you give us your righteousness. Thank you for that, Jesus. And I pray, friend, that if that's you, that maybe today, the simple decision of choosing to place your faith in Christ of choosing to follow him, of choosing to, to kind of dive in and to wrestle, like let us reason together. What if this is true? That simple decision would change your eternity and the eternity of your families and of those around you. Today, you can know Jesus. And God, for all of us who have chosen to place our faith in you, to say, I want to follow you. I do want to take up crosses. I do want to even suffer for your name, Jesus. I want to be used by you. I want to know you. I want to love you. I want you to be our father. God, I pray that you would show us that in your son, you are well pleased with us and that it would be from that pleasure that we work for you. It would be from that pleasure that we serve you. It would be from that pleasure that we are faithful until the end.
Thank you for your love, Jesus. Holy Spirit of God, I pray in your kindness, you would even speak to us as we close this gathering, as we go to the table to meet with you, as we sing songs of worship to you, I pray, Spirit of God, that you would speak to us. We love you, Jesus. We thank you, Father. Praise things in your beautiful name. Amen. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. If you want more information about us or how to get further connected, please visit our website, thewellaustin.com.